Humanity is at the heart of customer experience. To ignore humanity or the human touch when crafting customer experiences means you're doing it wrong. Hi, everyone. This is the CX Patterns Podcast with Sam Stern from LinkedIn. And in part two of my conversation with Zana Vanda'a, we revisit the topic of the importance of humanity and customer experience and also how Zana measures humanness when she measures the customer experience. We talk as well about the impact on employee experience and company culture that comes from elevating the role of humanity in delivering customer experiences. Hint, it makes it better. It gives employees a real sense of purpose and understanding and belief that they matter, that they make a difference. And you can imagine the sense of well-being, the sense of importance, of empowerment that that would bring to employees. This conversation closes with a challenge to all of you CX professionals out there listening. And I'm speaking to myself as well. Why are we still living in a world where the average customer experience is so mediocre? That is why I started this podcast, my frustration with our lack of progress, my feeling that I had to do more, be part of the solution to helping all of us make more great customer experiences. And we should all be doing more. And Zana in this conversation highlights some great suggestions for how we can all embrace this challenge, go deeper, and make more substantive progress in improving customer experience. Okay, let's get back to my conversation with Zana. But I want to go into the specific example you use because I think it's a really important one. I've heard you talk about it a lot. I talk about it a lot. And yet I still don't think it's quite permeated for CX teams as much as it should have, which is the importance of human touch, the importance of the human element, and the fact that matters more to how the customers feel about the experience. I'd love for you to talk a little bit about how you've seen that show up in the data and translate that into what that means for how you create great customer experiences that are going to deliver the outcomes that customers want. Yeah, so what we indeed almost always see, let's say in maybe 90, 90% of the cases, that when we take a journey, that the human element is almost always the number one driver. And the human element in the walls can differ, right? In the context of social services, it's, it's, for example, treating me with respect. For example, another company, it's, hey, I want you to be there for me or personal attention. So the content of the human aspect can differ, but it's always the number one. Just a couple of anecdotes from. Forrester Days, Forrester Data, we found, paralleling what you said, the best experiences were the the, the ones customers liked most were in the most human channels. So in-person was better than phone, which was better than chat, which was better than pure online. And then when you ask customers their preference for channel service, in terms of the unreliability, if they give you a rational answer, it would skew the opposite way. It would skew towards more self-service. And I think it's one of those things you you have to be careful about is to not just take customers at their word, especially if you're asking them to, to tell you what they think, they're unreliable narrators, they have unreliable memories, they have unreliable predictions about how they'll feel about something. It's not to say those are wrong. They tell you they're, they're useful information, but you can't just project from that, okay, great, we're going to push everyone to self-serve because that's what they say they like the most. Yeah, um, I think it's also interesting. So I tend to work with five types of experience and I hmm. split customer experience from service experience because I also think it's a, I have often discussion where indeed when this human thing pops up, like personal attention, you get a discussion, right? Okay, but then should we only have like human channels? 
But my, my response is always, this is not just about channels, right? I can also redesign the app in such a way that you give me the feeling of more, more personal attention. Yes. So human touch doesn't necessarily mean a human person. Yeah. No, it's a beautiful, I think, cautionary note to that. It's not. And, and so it's, again, it's like, don't overlearn this as, okay, we're going to send them all into the branches or all to the phones. Yeah. It's exactly as you said, then how do we bring as much of a human element as possible to every interaction, every touch point? The whole journey. Have? Exactly. And not just a yeah. channel. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's great. My, the other example I wanted to highlight was, so in the States, JetBlue and Southwest Airlines are usually two of the highest rated in terms of customer experience scores. And when you asked customers, and we, we did this in, in Forrester data, asked them why you rated those airlines so high, they would say because they're always on time. But their actual on-time performance data is near <laughs> the bottom of the airline. So it's a classic example of ask them to think about a rational reason. A rational reason you'd like an airline is because it's on-time performance even when it's not. And so it's the actual reverse is if you like the airline and they treat you well, you will forgive some extra lateness because you like them and they've treated you well and they've valued you as a passenger. You can't just yeah. ask people why. Yeah. They, they can't tell you. They don't know. Yeah. <laughs> and, and they honestly think that they are telling you what matters to them, yeah. right? It's not that they're giving the wrong answer. They truly no. think, yeah, right. it matters to me. <laughs> That's right. They're not lying. They're, and so like, oh, exactly. they would pass a lie detector test too on that one, which, which I think is just fascinating. And again, that's where I think to underline it, your approach is so important to get at the real reasons, not the ones yeah. that the customers are going to tell you in all, in their minds, truthfulness as yeah. the right answers and still mislead you. Yeah. So building on that, is it ever right to ask about rational reasons to a customer for rating an experience? Yeah, so for me, the let's say the rational or more functional application for me is on the digital side. So when you look at the core three metrics in, C, in CX, we have the satisfaction, net promoter score, and the customer effort score. And for me, the customer effort score outplays not in the customer service pillar, but in the digital side. And because if you use customer effort score as the app made it easier for me to, I don't know, check my invoice. As to, to that definition of customer effort score, then it's such a transactional question. That follow-up, that one question with an open text, if I rate it very high, hey, wow, thanks, Anna, that was great. What was the one thing that made it super easy for you? Open text. Mm. Or if the score is very low, ooh, can you give us one tip what we can do to make it easier? Because the, the place where you ask it, it's such a transactional point in my app or on the website that on that place, it's perfectly fine to ask this more rational feedback and use AI to analyze all those open ends. Mm, that's a great example. Love it. Going back to the idea of the, the importance of the human touch, what do you say to companies who are concerned about the higher cost that implies? Yeah, I would say that there is such a beautiful win between, let's say, better experience and efficiency. So one example, one of the insurance companies that I work with back in the day, we reduced the call, the cost of the call center, the human channel, by 25%. That was two and a half million in euro while we increased the satisfaction of customers. Wow. So my answer there is oh, there's so much waste, so much context that also a customer doesn't want to have to call you when the website is not functioning, right? So there's so much win there that the time that you gain, so I wouldn't say reorganize and reduce staff, but you have more time for that staff to have a more in-depth conversation with customers to add more value. So for me, yeah. it's not always, it has to be more expensive. I like that example. It reminds me of something that we found at LinkedIn, which is we were you know, trying to maximize our sales team's time with customers. 
but finding that a lot of that time was devoted to fixing issues that they had. And it wasn't adding tons of value. And so as a pure metric, yes, they were getting a lot of FaceTime with customers in terms of the value out of it. To your point, if we made the things work that they didn't have to fix anymore, they'd be putting it in the same amount of time, maybe even less into much higher value added activities with the customers. Yeah. Yeah. And I think what's also interesting. So when you find the drivers and you see that this human thing is the number one, I also often say, but this number one is also a perfect, let's say, compass for design principles for your tech. Because people often feel, hey, but it's only the employees, right? So even just adjusting the text on your website to make explicit that you are there for me, that you give me personal attention, as you can also use it as design principles for your digital experience. So switching gears a little bit here, getting back into the analysis that you do in these situations, you've mapped the journey, you've gotten a group of people together into a workshop setting. And as you said, they've all got their opinions on what matters most, but now you're trying to frame it around what actually matters most to the customer. And let's learn from that and then make decisions based on that. One of the things, though, that I think sometimes I'm guilty of skipping past is, okay, let's just reflect what the customer needs and wants, especially get their emotions in there. How do you determine the which emotions and whether those are different for different customers and in different situations on different journeys? How do you get down to that level of understanding? where there is enough nuance that you can make really specific design choices in the experience you create. So what we do in our workshop, so in our workshop, there are no customers present, right? It's just employees from all the departments that do something in the journey. And I would say 80% of our workshop is just me always acting as a, as a stupid customer, I always say in Dutch. I'm just going to ask stupid questions. Okay, so I fill out the form. Do I get a confirmation email? Do we know if we send email confirmations? <laughs> What's the content of that email? So we go through all, let's say, the transactional steps. But then at the end, and the, the current situation, not the desired state, because first we need to know the drivers, right? Before we can redesign it. And then at the end, I ask the participants, hey, thinking about your brand promise, thinking about also you just being a customer, placing yourself in their shoes, just shout out whatever emotion emotional experience you would want your customers to have. Mm. They just shout out five, 10, 20 things. And those two elements together, so the emotions they mentioned, plus the whole transactional journey, that's what gets into the survey. And then you have also, again, with the explained variance for sure, did we miss anything? But also now with the impact scores of the regression analysis, you now also know, okay, indeed, emotion around personal attention is much more important than, I don't know, emotions around, I don't know, something of a complete example. Uh, yeah, sec- security policy or something yeah, on the website. for example, yeah. indeed. Yeah. yeah, which might matter. So that's, let's say, on a generic level, that's for all customers. And because you also mentioned, hey, do you want to, how do you fine tune? Yeah. I think one of the, let's say, FAQs that I receive is, okay, but aren't the drivers for segment A different than segment B? Or... Yeah the north of the country versus the south. And my response always tends to be, my goal is to get to execution mode. And the risk of a lot of companies is to, hey, let's do another analysis and another analysis. So I always say, let's start with improving on the drivers we found for everyone. As soon as you don't, and you've you've really improved, right? You're not saying you're going to improve, you've really done the improvements. Yeah, and you don't see your score go up anymore, that's a natural moment to say, hey, okay, maybe now we need to differentiate. So that's, let's say, my basic answer. 
And most companies feel comfortable with that. Some of them said, but I still want to have the analysis. And that's yeah. good news because now I can say also the data is then showing hardly any differentiation. Mm. The, the yeah. only true differentiation we saw is, for example, in a social services context, where the drivers of uh, civilians that were not allowed to get the, let's say, welfare had different drivers than the, the civilians who got their welfare requests approved, which, of course, again, makes sense. But otherwise, right. statistically, the, the nuances are not that much that it really makes sense to have completely different journeys for those segments. Got it. That makes a lot of sense. So, Zana, I talk a lot in my work at LinkedIn and when I was at Forrester about the importance of a customer-centered culture and bringing employees along on this journey, getting everyone involved. And you've talked about this in the past, about the, the value of this data, right? Showing the human touch to inspire employees. Can you talk a little bit about that, how that works, that, that it galvanizes employees? Yeah, I think one of the, the, the first things, the added value is that you see that the key thing that matters most to customers is almost always connected to the sense of purpose of the employees. Right, so it always connects back to, hey, finally, I can have, again, time to spend, quality time to spend with my customers instead of production or sales or other KPIs. And I think that's a beautiful sort of starting point for employee experience. And then based also on the work, for example, Dan Cable, Alive at Work, and let's say the, the essence of behavioral science, we combine, let's say, playfulness. So we create a lot of energy, creating a campaign, having... I don't know, like uh, uh, a rap theme or fire starters or whatever, and translate the drivers into super concrete, tiny habits for each role of employees. And then you have the beautiful connection of science and statistics is super abstract, completely back to sense of purpose, impacting employees. Every time we see within three months that we have a, a huge increase of satisfaction in that specific journey. So it's yeah. not just statistics, right? You can also prove, hey, it actually works, right? <laughs> yeah. I think this is such an important point that employees feel better when they know that they're contributing in this way to making yeah. customers happy, to giving them what they need and the experience. And as you said, just as a starting point, the understanding of the importance of the human element, the human touch to the customer experience outcomes. And then I think it's really important, so I don't want to skip over it, but what you said about and now translate it into something that's specific that I can do. Yeah. So then it feels I really know what to do and yeah. I know how to take action. I'm confident I can make that contribution. That's really empowering too, which is exciting for an employee. As you said, they're getting enthusiastic about it because, yeah. oh, yeah, I can do this. That that feels really good to feel that way. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting because you mentioned the word empowerment. So the first thing that we did is that we indeed, we also wanted to empower them, right? We don't want to tell you what to do. Now, you are the yeah. expert for just facilitating, hey, personal attention matters. But how you do that, all up to you. And it worked really well. So we did just a day training, sharing the drivers, brainstorming. But still, what we saw is that going from task steering, which is still a thing in, let's say, 95% of companies, to saying, hey, empowerment, that was a pretty big jump for a lot of employees. Mm, yeah. So that's why we said now, okay, we're not going to let you figure out on your own. We're going to create this menu of tiny habits that you can still choose as so you don't have to. And you can choose which one resonates most with you. That's where we keep the empowerment. Yeah. But we're helping you making it super tangible. Yeah, I think that's great. Final question for you here. I've seen in, in some of what you share out in the world that MPS, 
you're skeptical. So <laughs> just to, to say the least. So give us your best case for why companies who are hooked on Net Promoter Score should rethink it, should maybe ditch this metric. Yeah, I think the best case, I think that this could be like three different podcasts, but let me see if I can get to the essence. <laughs> I think one is that, I think it's a nice link to where we started, right? That I think there's almost no company that's not measuring NPS. I think we can also agree. So let's say yeah, NPS was introduced in 2003, 20 years, beautiful anniversary. Okay. And I think we still see so many companies that are doing a pretty bad job at CX. Yes. I think maybe that's the best case of saying, okay, MPS was not the holy grail. Uh, but from, let's say, a methodological perspective, I'm not necessarily against the question, would you recommend? Even though uh, original idea from Reichelt was very different, right? It was to predict profitability. But I'm more against, let's say, the root cause analysis of NPS for all the reasons we discussed in this podcast, right? Yes. You don't know, am I complete? I had a beautiful example recently where an organization said, hey, we just added a new, an additional root cause that, that customers could choose. And it was really good that we did because a lot of customers chose that root cause. So I said, perfect, but how do you know there's not another one yeah. that you didn't add, right? No, that's great. I think your first point is true. And it's, it should cause more reflection on the part of all of us in customer experience. 20 years in for MPS, 25-year anniversary for when customer experience officially became a, a business discipline. Why are we not better? And yeah. I think to your point, there's a lot of surface level stuff that we've been doing that looks nice, that sounds nice, that makes it look like we're working at this, but we're not getting down to that level of the depth of understanding that you've described and talked about in the process for doing that in this episode that's required. And I think it's a shame. Because we know the value of customer experience. We know the impact it can have on people's lives as customers, as employees delivering it. And so we should take it seriously. We should go down to that level so that we actually do improve customer experiences. All of our lives would be much better if we were making that kind of impact. Yeah, I, I wholeheartedly agree. And I think even there's a risk, right? I think the importance of CX is increasing. I'm seriously concerned about the quality of CX decreasing. Yeah. So I think if we don't enhance the quality of the field, we will definitely lose the battle. Yeah, said. It's a pleasure having you on the CX Patterns podcast, talking through all of that. I love your approach, right? It, it's so data-driven and scientific, and yet always coming back to the human elements and always getting down to that level of execution. You're the one pushing exactly. them to execution. They're pushing you sometimes for more data, and you're, you're like, no, we've got enough. Let's get to action. And let's I go. think that's such an important part of, yeah, let's go. Let's do this. Thank you so much for joining us and for walking through that. Thanks so much. It was a pleasure. And thanks for having me. And it's, it's nice to meet like peers where you feel, hey, they're also aiming for Champions League CX. And I think the more people that are willing to change the world, the better. I loved Zana's approach that she described for measuring human emotions. She's not fixating on perfection. She's using a transactional survey with customers that gives a nice source of data, and she's crowdsourcing from the stakeholders what they think the most important human emotions will be. Is that approach perfect? No. Is it comprehensive? No. But is it enough to get started with? Absolutely. And as Zana said, she's all about pushing towards execution. Then you can start to see where you are right and where you need to evolve or iterate your approach. It's a cliche, but still true. Don't let perfect 
be the enemy of good. Here's another one. Analysis paralysis. Don't overthink your metrics, your measurement system. Let real-world feedback guide you. So you got to put it out there. Zana, I think, strikes such a nice balance, being thoughtful, being data-driven, but also focusing on getting to execution. Towards the end of our conversation, Zana highlighted the fact that what matters most to customers is what will also create the greatest sense of purpose for employees. What matters most to customers creates greater sense of purpose for employees. Honestly, I'm jealous of how well she articulates that idea. Spending your day as an employee making customers happy is a great way to spend your day. Knowing that you are making that difference adds more purpose to you and your work as an employee. And finally, she and I share our skepticism about NPS as a metric. I think we've been too mindless as a profession in measuring the experience this way. Whether promotion is the outcome we want from customer experience or not, hint, for most brands, that shouldn't be the goal and it won't be the outcome from great customer experience. And the score obsession that goes along with NPS has led to a lot of bad behavior that is at best distracting and at worst destructive. So what to do instead? Listen carefully to how Zana talks about and thinks about measuring the customer experience. It's about so much more than one question, one number. It's about so much more than just what a customer can tell you is the reason why they liked or didn't like your experience. You have to go deeper in all facets of this and also use the actual feedback, the actual evidence to evaluate and evolve your approach. That's all for now. Thanks for listening to the CX Patterns podcast. Follow me on LinkedIn, subscribe to the newsletter that accompanies each full episode of the podcast, and please do connect to share feedback, questions, or ideas for future episodes and guests. Thanks to my colleague, Emily Tolmer, for creating the CX Patterns logo, and to my friends, Moon Island, for the music. I'll be back in two weeks with another full-length episode of the CX Patterns podcast, and I'll share next week a Loose Threads, Missing Threads mini-episode. Talk to you then.